a, an amazing hymn. If you begin to truly think about that, the one who promised the coming of a Savior, who promised His victory his over death and the grave, the one who has promised us that one day He will come back again has also promised that to those who are in, who are in Him, those who have come to know Him, that He will hold them fast. What an amazing promise for the Christians around the world today. That those who are in Afghanistan who are facing persecution and those in Australia and other places around the world who are facing you know, tyranny, brothers and sisters, the King of Kings has promised that He will hold His church fast. And that promise is for you as well. It is a glorious promise and it is one that should give us all joy this morning. Amen? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as we are making our way through this wonderful letter on what a healthy church looks like. And so we now come to this chapter on love, and we saw this last week, this absence of love, um, that we can do all these amazing and wonderful things, but if we are absent of love, it amounts to nothing. In 1967, the song, All You Need Is Love, was released by the Beatles. It became one of their biggest hits. The concept of this song was rather simple. It was born out of a request to bring a song on their world tour or whatever, but their you know, for their world tour or whatever thing. It was a, to bring a song that was going to be understood by all people around the entire world, all nations. And that this would be a song that they could that the world, that the different nations, the different people groups could all unite around, especially during the sixties anti war movement. And for many people it became more than a song. This became a philosophy. It became a way of life and one that still exists today. You have a problem with some people, all you need is love. And we'll smooth it over and it'll all be good. You've got war going on in the world. We just need to love. And war will cease. You get fear gripping a world or a nation or, or people. All you need is love. You got division. People are divided into groups, into factions. All you need is love. You got, you got a government that doesn't work right or, or, or you know, some governmental problems. All we need is love. You got immorality in the world. You got sin in the world. All you need is love. Yet the world has not been united ever since. A matter of fact, if you really want to be honest with you, you know, about this song, the world is not united. As a matter of fact, it's probably far more divided than it's ever been. I would also add that this song is not a good philosophy because as I was listening to it this week, it just repeats the words over and over again, all you need is love, over and over. It really sounds like a three-year-old trying to win an argument, trying to convince themselves that I know it's not going to happen, but if I just say it enough, all I need is love. Beloved, this philosophy will only work if we all have the same understanding of love. If we all share the same definition of love, and most of the time we don't. For example, if you were to think about it, if we were to think about love in the, in the, con, in the area of marriage, 
many of us would say that love is, is between one man and, and one woman, but we now live in a world that says, no, 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 love means that anyone can be married, even the same sex. And so therefore, if all I need is love, and I'm, got, I'm going to use that definition, then I have to believe and accept that marriage, you know, that same-sex marriage is acceptable and right in all areas. Or what about the most divisive issue in our day, the issue of covid we have a world that is divided because we all have different opinions and we have different concepts and we, we listen to the different media sources and we read different articles and we read this and we listen to this person and that person. And so therefore, there's many different opinions and there's many different sides and who is right, who is wrong. Who is really the most loving when it comes to this whole COVID concept and how we are to handle it? One thing I think that everyone in this church can agree on is, is this, is that we, we do need love, but we need a working definition, an example of love. First Corinthians 13 is a wonderful place to give us that. Like our own present day problems, the Corinthians were trying to navigate life without love. They were, they were trying to navigate church without love. They, they did all the things that Paul told them to do. They, 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 they did everything a church is supposed to do. But they were absent of love, and so therefore, like us today, it kind of ends up with the similar results of division, heartache, frustration, sadness, anger. And they did all these things, and yet they had not loved, and they amounted to nothing. And so as we look this morning in the next verse, verse 4 through 7, verses, I've entitled this morning the application of love. If you remember, we're going to look at this entire chapter, and so last week we saw the absence of love. Today we'll look at the application of love, and this is going to be a several-part uh, sermons here on the application of love, and, and then we're going to get see the abiding of love. And so these qualities that we're going to look, beloved, are applied within daily relationships, within our families, within our friends, but most certainly within the context of the church. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three headings this morning. The first one, I want to give an explanation of love. I want to set the groundwork. I want to till the, the soil, if you will, and, and lay a little bit of concrete down here. And then we're going to begin walking through verses 4 through 7 at each one of these attributes or, or applications, if you will, of love in the life of a believer. So we'll see an explanation of love, and then we'll look at the next two headings. Love is patient. Love is kind. So we'll have an explanation then we'll look at patience, and then we're going to look at kindness. So if you will, look with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we will begin in verse 4. Paul says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, love does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account of a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things things. In the explanation here, beloved, we need to have context. As I've said before, context matters. And so especially when we talk about love, the context of what Paul is writing is very important. Because let's just be honest, and I will use my own self as an example this morning. I love my mother. I love my wife. I love dogs. I, I love hamburgers. Probably love hamburgers a little too much, but anyways. You know, but if you don't understand the context, and that can kind of become a very weird relationship with a hamburger, if you think about it. If you don't have an explanation of love, I certainly don't love dogs the way that I love my mother, and I would get in trouble if I did. 
nor do I love my mother the way that I love my wife or my kids the way that I, that I may love animals. And so some explanation and context is required when discussing love because the word love doesn't always mean the same thing in every context. Love can involve a variety of different things uh, in the English. It can involve personal affection, sexual attraction, platonic admiration, brotherly loyalty, benevolent concern, and even worshipful, uh, worshipful adoration. So to accurately answer the question, what is love, we need to know the root of this word. And so here we find in Paul's writing, and what we find throughout the, the New Testament, this word agape this Greek word agape, which is, which is how it's translated into love, is used the majority of the time, almost every time. And so we all want to understand, if we want an explanation of what Paul is talking about here and where this patient, kind love is coming from, we need to understand this word agape. And so I've chosen this morning, I want to read from 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, we see it in many places, but I think 1 John chapter 4 will, will suffice this morning as we read. So I want to read 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through verse 12. Notice what he writes. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God, is, if, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now notice that John writes that this agape is from God, and he even says, is God. This is one of those things where... What happens with you and I is when we say, well, God is love, and we, you know, we begin trying to describe what love is. Well, God is love, so this is love. And let me just simplify this for you. If love is from God and love is God, then if you really want to know what love is, then go and read what God says about love. If you want to know me let, me, let me share my life with you and tell you about me, and then you can hang out with me, and then you'll figure that out. And so we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, Now as to the love of brethren, the love between one another, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves, notice this, are taught by God to love one another. And so we understand, beloved, that, a, that if we want to know and have an explanation of love and define love, we have to go to the Scriptures and understand that God has to tell us what it is. You're not going to figure it out on your own, and you most certainly do not need to be looking to the world to tell you what love is. So let me make a very quick application here, chase one quick little rabbit. Beloved, it is time for the church to stop loving according to the definition of the world. It's time for you and I to quit defining what actions and what words and what beliefs and what things that we do and say are truly loving According to the definition that the world gives us. This is how we lost the battle against homosexual marriage. Because you were told to be loving and tolerant of these things. We were told to say anything at all against sin is unloving. But we know that is not the case according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Too many Christians today are running around and they're saying, well, this is love, this is love, this is love. And it's an unbiblical, unchristian definition of love. I can give my entire possessions to the poor and turn my body over to be sacrificed and burned for Christ. But if I have not loved, it is, I have gained nothing. We must stop looking to the world to define for you and I what is love. And so when we do look to the Scriptures, what we find is that agape love is so different from the other forms of love. And here's the reason why. These other forms of love stem from a desirability or conditions. And so, for example, I, again, I love hamburgers because I desire to eat a hamburger. I, I want to eat the hamburger. I, it's enjoyable to eat, so I love it. I, I love my children, you know, because they are my children, and I love being with them. I, I love my wife. I desire my wife. And so, and so I, there's all these qualities and all these conditions and all these different things. And at the end of the day, my love for this object or this, the recipient of my love, always ends up benefiting me. But agape love is not motivated by desirability or conditions. You must understand that agape love is unconditional. There are no qualifiers here. So, so when we express love, there are no conditions or qualifiers on the love. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, agape love is always a love that gives and never takes. It's always giving and never taking. It is completely unselfish. And so agape is not based on pleasant emotions. It's not based on good feelings or affections that might result in a physical attraction or a brotherly or family type bond. It chooses to love despite the recipient's the object, no matter your feeling toward the object or the recipient. Again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, look what he said. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the same thing as Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that says that God shows his love for us, that in, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice that the act of love serves the interest of the recipient, the object of the love, not self-interest. So God's love is seen in abiding in, is seen in sending Jesus to die on a cross for you, for you who are who was undesirable. God did not look down from heaven from His throne and look at you and go, "What warm, fuzzy feelings I get when I see Brian." God did not look down from heaven and see mankind and go. They just, they're just so enjoyable. No, God looked down from heaven and what he saw was darkness and wickedness, not only in the world, but in the heart of Brian. There was nothing desirable about me. There was nothing about you that was desirable, beloved. We were sinners. We had betrayed God. We were treasonous to God. According to Colossians 1, you were an enemy of God. You are deserving of eternal damnation for your sins against God. You are accursed by God because of your sins against God. So in John chapter 3, 16, where God says he so loved the world, you got to look back at that in verses in chapter 1, 2 there, and you see that John is trying to make this, this understanding that there's light and there's darkness so when it says that God so loved the world, beloved, he is talking about the fact that God loved those who hated him. 
That God loved those who were, dark, who were dark and wicked and sinful and undesirable. That God chose to save and to rescue and to redeem a people to himself that did not love him back. Brothers and sisters, if you want to know the true, what true love is, you don't go out there to look for it. You go to the scriptures and what you find here is is we find the gospel that tells of a God who loved people and sent his son for him. So here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If we want to know true love, we must know the source of love, that it comes from God, that while that he loved us first, I love because God first loved me. I can know love because, because I who am sinful can know the love of God. I can know love through the saving power of God's love. Are you a sinner this morning? who has never come to redemption and you wonder why you, you don't feel loved and you wonder why you, you feel the way that you do and why you do the things that you do this morning? Because you don't know the saving power of God's love. That God would send His Son to die for you. That Jesus would rise from the grave three days later and ascend in glory and in honor and in all power. And he would offer to you a chance to be saved and redeemed. A chance to truly feel loved. You must know the source of love is God. The saving power of love comes from the cross and the work of Christ. But we must also know the sanctifying power of God's love. That once Christ loves me, that once I experience the love of God, I then can love others. Verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And so if I want to love, if I want to express love, I must know the love of God, agape, the unselfish love, the love that saves sinners and allows sinners to not only love Him, but to love one another. And so when you establish that as the foundation and the root and the, and the road by which we live, then we can now begin to understand what actions, what beliefs, what, what things are truly loving in this world? And so Paul here, back in chapter 13, this is a wonderful, wonderful place to, to begin to define what love is. It is the, because it comes from the source of God. And so we see here very first, the first thing that I want you to see this morning in chapter 13, is that love is patient. Love is, love is patient. Now the Greek word is a compound word. One part meaning far off or long distance. The other part meaning emotion, anger. The idea here is that there is a great distance between the offense and the anger or the emotion that is expressed because of the offense. The idea is that you are long of nose. You've got a long nose. Not physically. What that means is, is that when you are offended... You take a deep breath. I'm not going to kill anybody. You just take a deep breath and you don't act. The idea is a bomb that has, has a fuse with a really long fuse. You are long-suffering. You, you suffer and endure another person for long periods of time. Long-tempered, not short-tempered. According to W.E. Vines, he said... It says the patience is being able to restrain one's reaction to an irritation or to an offense. A capacity for persistence in relationships. 
In other words, because of your persistence and your patience with people, you don't throw up your hands and say, I am done. I am done with that person. I have had enough of that person. I will no longer speak to that person. I will no longer love that person. I will no longer have a relationship with that person. I am done. And that's exactly what we have seen. Chapter 1 through chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, right? The Corinthians looking at one another and going, I am done with you. No longer united, but factions and division. Suing one another. No longer waiting on the others to come to the Lord's table, but I will eat before they get here or I'll come later after they're gone. No, no longer being rejoicing in one another's spiritual gifts, but it's a competition between one another. They, they could not bear with one another because they could not be patient with one another. In my study, I came across this amazing illustration of a, of a husband, Dr. Thomas Cooper, who, who a few centuries ago was writing a uh, dictionary. He was adding, he was editing a dictionary, and he was adding 33,000 words to this dictionary, and, and he was going to, and many other improvements, and he had already collected materials for eight years when his wife, while he was away, a difficult woman, it is to be said, that she went into his study while he was away one day, and she lit all of his notes on fire. Because she feared he would kill himself with study. Apparently she didn't fear what he would do to her, but that's another whole other thing. But eight years of work, a pile of ashes. Dr. Cooper came home, he saw the destruction, and he, he asked, he said, who has done this? And his wife says, it was I. I did this. And he looked at her and he took a deep sigh. Oh, Diana, Diana. Thou hast given the world, has given a world of trouble. And then he quietly sat down to his desk and he began another eight years of hard labor to replace the notes that she had set on fire. Agape love is patient with people. Agape love is patient through the worst of offenses. And this is why the word patient, beloved, that we see in the text here, as Paul writes it, is in present tense form, meaning it is continually happening. You are being continually patient with one another. Jesus, Jesus, I got a question for you. Yes, Peter, what's your question? How many times do I have to forgive my brethren? Seven times? Maybe, I can go eight. You start going nine and ten, Jesus. I got so so. Jesus, how many times is a good godly number to forgive one another? And Jesus said, "I tell you, not seven times, but seventy times seventy." In other words, beloved, you are to forgive and to be patient for as long as it takes until Jesus Christ comes back. Brothers and sisters, the application of love. In the context of the church, in the context of relationships, in the context of of the world, it is patience with one another. You are patient with your words. Oh, how many times when I get offended, I have to let the person who offended me know. Right? And it's always in the group of people, isn't it? 
so-and-so. And it's really nothing. They really did nothing. But I want to let so-and-so know that what they did really offended me. Rather than go tell it to them individually where nobody hears it. But I'm going to do it in the, in the presence of other people. Because you can't restrain your words. Who's really unloving? You or the one who offended you? And especially on social media. Because we all know the most loving thing that you can do. That when you see somebody post something that you don't like. Is to get on there and let them know how unlikable their post was. And how offended you are that they would believe such a thing. Patience with your emotions. That when you are upset, you are patient in restraining your anger or even your sadness. That you may be able to restrain yourself from acting in a way that is unloving to someone else. You are patient with your actions toward others. For the we, you understand and believe exactly what Jesus said, exactly what God said, that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so therefore, you don't have to repay back what someone has done to you. You don't have to take your brother to, to court. You, you don't have to let them know. You, you don't have to avenge yourself. Because you know at the end of the day that true love is restraining your actions toward others and being patient patient and not forsaking your relationship with others that you're not you, you don't leave the relationship you don't go those people at first Baptist church offended me i'm going to leave and go to another church they're so unloving they're unloving they said something that hurts they did something they forgot about me so i'll do the most loving thing and not show patience and leave to go to another church What does Vody say? If you can't say amen, say ouch. If you really want to know what love looks like, it looks like God's people restraining their words, their emotions, and their actions toward one another when they are offended. You want to see love within this world? Then be patient with one another no matter what side you fall in, in whatever it is. Especially in this COVID mess. Learn to be patient with one another. Because how dare we not show patience when the God of the universe has not, when the God of the universe has not let loose his wrath upon you and me, but has been patient that all may come that all who will may come to know Him as Savior. Brothers and sisters, love is patient. But not only that, Paul says love is kind. Where patience is passive and restraint, kindness is letting go of the restraint and engage in doing good to others. Again, this is in present tense form. So you are continually engaged in doing good to one another. You are continually resisting the urge to not do good to one another. Kindness is when you really don't want to do anything for the other person because your patience has run out with them. But you do it anyways. It may be a need. It may not be a need. It may just be a gesture of love of just saying, I just want to do something for you. 
But at the root of kindness is this issue of being benevolent. This issue of being benevolent and providing something that is beneficial to someone else. It may be tangible, it may be emotional, it may be financial, whatever it may be. You are providing a service to someone else. You are being good to them. Even if they don't deserve it in your book. The Corinthians, on the other hand, they were absent of love. And because they were absent of love, their church was void of kindness. They placed qualifiers on one another. I, can't sh- I won't show kindness to you because of such and such. So, for example, go back. I can't show kindness to you because you like Paul, not Apollos. You remember that? You follow Paul, I follow Paul, I follow Peter. And so therefore, I, because you didn't like the right pastor, I can't be kind to you. Wisdom and philosophy. You see the world one way, I see the world a different way. And because you don't see the world the way I see it, I'm not going to be kind to you. I will not do good to you. 1 Corinthians 5, there was a tolerance of sin. I mean, certainly, those people who ate the meat were sinful dogs, right? How dare you eat the meat from the temple of the pagans? But that guy who's sleeping with his, you know, with his mother-in-law and all that mess, that, that sinful affair, that could be tolerated. So you tolerate one sin and you tolerate another sin, and so we'll show no kindness to one another. Married or single? You're single? (laughs) Man, you deserve what you get. Married, you deserve what you get. There's no kindness. What about the Lord's Supper? You remember the Lord's Supper? We're not going to eat with those people. We will not come to the table with those people. Or how about spiritual gifts? You got the gift of tongues. I got the gift of prophecy. Or how about those people who only have the gift of mercy? Or encouragement. I would never show kindness to them. They're not as spiritual as we are. Beloved, kindness pushes us to actively care for one another. No matter the circumstances. No, there are no qualifiers placed on people when it comes to love. Love is inclined to perform good deeds without qualifiers and conditions. And this is the very thing you are not seeing in the world today. The Gateway Pundit said that Washington Hospital has now removed any patient from the transplant list who has been unvaccinated. You may have waited years for that liver, that heart, but you're not getting it. Professing Christians walking by saw a sign that promoted the vaccine. So they did the most kind and godly thing that they could think of. Spray-painted Mark of the Beast. Because we all know that by telling people they have the Mark of the Beast, that's got to be kind and loving. Churches who refuse people to come in and worship, and might I add, remove them from the Lord's Supper because they didn't wear a mask or they didn't vaccinate. 
or church members blasting the other people, uh, those on the other side of the aisle for their beliefs and condemning them publicly. You will not receive my kindness until you do what I say. And you believe and you act accordingly. Because I am loving. I am loving. It happened in Corinth. It's happening around us today, beloved. And the world does not know this kind of love. But do you want to know who does know this kind of love? We do. We do. We are living in a world that is absent of love. And I believe with all of my heart, we've been living in this world for a really long time. I just think the conditions have now brought it to the the surface. So therefore, the application of love is kindness toward one another. It's kindness with my words without qualifications. You, 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 may, you may have done such a, you may have offended me, or, or, or you may have, have said that you may not have voted this way within the church membership meeting, or you may have been against the new building program. You may have done something or whatever that is completely different, but I will be kind to you with my words. I will be kind to you with my service. I will serve You and you, no matter within the church. I will show kindness with my prayers. I will pray for you. We will pray for one another without conditions. And we will show kindness even when others belittle us and persecute us and say all kinds of evil against us. And even if it comes even within the church. Because this is the kind of kindness that was shown to you on the cross of Calvary. But let me show you also another example of this kindness. Look to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13 there is a wonderful, wonderful picture that is taking place here. Of patience and of kindness. In John chapter 13, and let me just go ahead and read there in verses, beginning of verse 1. He says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is talking about the disciples. He has loved them. It says, During the supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father, had given him all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back. He got up from supper, he laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself, and then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now you've got to really think about what's going on. Who is he washing the feet of? Now, I've been on this for over a week, so if you were here Wednesday night, you may remember some of this. But I've been on this for a while now. This this is amazing. You have Judas Iscariot, who is going to betray Christ, who has been stealing money from the disciples, from the ministry fund. Jesus has known about it, but he's been patient with Judas. Here you have Peter, who's going to deny him three times, and the rest of them are going to what? Are going to run in fear and scatter from Jesus. He knows this. It is, it is going to happen. Not to mention, this is God in the flesh here who has been offended by their own sins. They have sinned against Jesus because he is God. 
And so you have God who has been offended, who's about to be betrayed, who's had money stolen from him, who's going to die a horrible death because he's betrayed. And in the patience of God and in the kindness of God, he removes his towel, he removes his garments, he takes a towel and he bends down and he washes the feet of his disciples. And then in verse 34 and 35, he then says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. He hasn't gone to the cross yet, so this is not just sacrifice. As I have loved you, as I have been patient with you and kind to you and washed your feet, even though you have offended and sinned against me. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. FPC, the patience and the kindness of Jesus Christ is showed to the disciples despite their offense against God. And it is commanded that you do the same. That you would be patient and long-suffering with those in this very room and on the very membership role of this church and with others that you would be patient and kind without placing qualifications because God has not placed a qualification when he sent his son. We were all despicable. This is what love looks like. And the world will not know this love. They will never know this love. If we ourselves do not love one another. The love of Christ is perfected in you and in I as the love of God flows through me and I am patient and I am kind to you. And so some of us this morning need to repent because we have been the most unloving of people. Some of us this morning need to learn how and begin to really look at our patience and say, God, I have not been patient with people. I've never been a patient person. And we laugh about it. But to not be patient is to not be loving. And if you don't love people according to the, the scriptures going to first John, you don't know God. And so it's not something to laugh at. My patience is something that has to be working toward to be sanctified by God. And so many of us more need to be repentant of this and seeking the edification of Christ in my life to be more patient that the world may see Christ and the love of Christ in how I treat my brethren. And showing kindness without qualifiers. And some of you are not mean. Some of us may be mean and we need to repent of that. But some of us just don't. We just, we just allow ourselves to be restrained. We just don't do acts of kindness. Jesus did not have to wash their feet. Jesus did not. He didn't have to come and die. He could have sent us all to hell and he would have been just in doing that. But not only does he die on a cross, beloved, he gets down on his knees and washes the dirty, disgusting feet of the disciples. Why? In the greatest act of kindness the world has ever known. 
All we need is love. Yes. But we need the love of Christ. We need the love that actually is doing something with us. How will they know the love of Christ? Paul says, are you patient? And are you kind? Because by this, all men will know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.